the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams. Who? Ta-da! <laughs> there he is. There's our boy. There's our shining, our shining boy, saving grace of the show. We need to get his face on a T-shirt. We have heard from you folks, and that's what you demand. That's what we're going to do. But first, uh, they call me Ben, and, and Noel, this is one that uh, this is one we had some help with from our dear colleague, Mr. Gabe Luzier. Yeah, check him out on this day in history class. And speaking of people whose faces belong on a T-shirt, this yeah. guy. Tsutomu mm -hmm. Yamaguchi. He's the only person to be officially recognized anyway uh, to have survived two nuclear bomb blasts, two atomic bomb blasts. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, you know, uh, most people don't survive the one. Uh, so Yamaguchi has uh, beaten the odds in terribly terribly horrific times. You know, some uh, 260,000 people survived the atomic bomb attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. But this guy, who is a Japanese engineer, didn't just survive uh, the first attack, he survived the second, and perhaps most amazingly, he lived to tell the tale. Uh, this is a bit of a heavy subject, but it's a story that the three of us thought must be told. want to give a big thanks to Jay Hemmings over on War History Online because Noel, his headline kind of hit one of the questions that I had immediately. Lucky or unlucky, the man who lived through two atomic bombs? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it is a it is sort of like a monkey's paw kind of scenario. It's like, would you rather survive two atomic blasts than live to, you know, see everyone you love perish 
in those atomic blasts and then be alone, or is it better to to perish with them? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think if you asked him, I think he'd probably consider himself lucky. But it is a, it is a sad story, um, and one that that starts back all the way in uh, 1945, August 6th, to be specific, when uh, Yamagachi was 29 years old and he was an engineer. He was actually getting ready to leave Hiroshima at the time. The writing was on the wall. Bad things were coming. Yeah, he was pretty young. He was 29 years old at the time, and he was on a business trip, a long one, a 90-day, three-month business trip uh, for his company, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. And August 6th, 1945, when the bomb drops, that was supposed to be his very last day in the city, like you said. And they were glad to go. He and all his colleagues had spent the entire summer laboring over uh, designs for a new oil tanker. And he wasn't just happy to be off work. He wanted to go back home to his family because he and his wife had just had a son who was an infant. So think about that. You spend all summer like breaking your mind and your heart over a, an oil tanker and everybody listening, you don't have to be a naval engineer to get this. Deadlines are stressful and we know that more than most. So he he wanted to go see his kids and he was actually... No, from what I saw in the way Hemings wrote it is uh, Yamaguchi literally almost got out of the city. They were on the way to the station when he realized uh, he forgot some paperwork or a, a travel stamp, basically, Hanko. That's interesting. So is this kind of like a passport? He's, he's, he's traveling within his own country. I'm interested in uh, why this is a, a necessary thing. Is it sort of like having a driver's license or some, you know, it's important, clearly. It's like everything. Oh man, there is a there's a great retrospective on on these things uh, called Hanko or Inkan. Um, forgive our Japanese; we're not native speakers. It's the it's the signature stamp. You know, uh, it's your personal seal. And a lot of people who move to Japan from abroad and spend time there have a have a crash course in learning these things. Because ideally, you don't just sign stuff with like a pen. You have to have this stamp, this seal. So it was important. It wasn't like him thinking, oh, did I leave the oven on in the kitchen or something? He would have probably needed that to sign anything official or he would have to go get a new one made. It's interesting because I'm, I'm looking it up and it's, it seems like it's interchangeable with a signature. But mm -hmm. I guess if you're signing on behalf of another entity or a company, then that's when it gets tricky, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really want one learning about the history cool of these things. They're beautiful. They're carved uh, from, I guess, bamboo or any other, you know, could be another kind of softer wood. Um, and, you you know, you keep them in a, a really nice bespoke case. And it really is kind of like a, a personal, you know, item that uh, many folks would carry around with them all the time. Um, probably a little less crucial now than maybe it was then. Um, but I'd be really interested in seeing uh, some of these in collections. And also the idea of like forging one, you know, it's sort of the equivalent of having oh, like yeah. a royal seal, I guess. But I'm sorry we're getting so caught up in this. I just think it's fascinating. But uh, by the way, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries it is mm -hmm. Mitsubishi. Um, yes. it, it is the Mitsubishi that we know today. It's a company that obviously makes cars, 
it's the division of of the Mitsubishi Group, rather. Uh, Mitsubishi Motors is the division that makes cars. Mitsubishi Heavy is the division that makes what it sounds like heavy machinery and, and equipment, uh, like an oil tanker, which is what he had been working on. So he realizes he's left his travel stamp at his place of, of work, and so he has to go back and get it. Around 8.15 in the morning, he's walking to the shipyard to get that travel stamp when he hears the sound of an aircraft hovering overhead and he looks into the sky and he sees a B-29 bomber, the Enola Gay specifically, and he sees a small object being dropped attached to a parachute. And then the sky is on fire. He described it later as seeing um, the lightning, quote, the lightning of a huge magnesium flare. At least he, he uh, likened it to that. And this is a guy that's, you know, worked with these kinds of chemicals and he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. He had just enough uh, time, uh, reaction time to, to hide himself, to, to cover himself, duck and cover in a ditch. Uh, and that's when he heard the sound that this, uh, this object that had split the sky make. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville, right? 
oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, so for people familiar with this tragedy... The Enola Gay dropped the bomb called Little Boy. And it's amazing that Yamaguchi was, not just that he survived, but it's amazing that he was able to see this happen. And the shockwave that occurred, shout out to our pal Rachel Lance, the number one expert on underwater explosions and explosions in general. The shockwave that occurred was so powerful, it sucked him out of the ditch that he was hiding in and it spun him around in the air and then threw him into a potato patch. He would later learn that he was less than two miles from ground zero. And we have his own words uh, from an interview he did with a British newspaper, The Times. He said, I didn't know what had happened. I think I fainted for a while. When I opened my eyes, everything was dark and I couldn't see much. It was like the start of a film at the cinema before the picture has begun when the blank frames are just flashing up without any sound. And, uh, you know, for for at least a little bit, he's pretty sure he's dead. And he's thinking, okay, this is what death is like. He thinks he's crossed the mortal veil. Just to reiterate, two miles from where the bomb hit. I mean, that is just unheard of. It seems like he, he would have been a goner. So for him to believe, you know, to believe that he had, you know, obviously it's like it's a country with very deeply held religious beliefs as well. So I could totally understand that happening. Uh, and you mentioned the sound being utterly cinematic. Um, he, he says to him, he says in an interview with the Times, as he said, uh, eventually the darkness cleared and I realized I was alive. When the noise and the blast subsided, I saw a huge mushroom-shaped pillar of fire rising up high into the sky. It was like a tornado, although it didn't move, but it rose and spread out horizontally at the top. There was prismatic light, uh, which was changing in a complicated rhythm, like the patterns of a kaleidoscope. What a wonderful uh, recollection that is. And you can find more about that in, in uh, all that's interesting article by John Kurosky. I just think that's a very, obviously horrific 
scene that he's describing, but he describes it with almost like a elegance, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, he's had, uh, luckily, the time to think about this, and this is one of the most horrible, impactful moments of his life and in the history of Japan. The sun is blotted out. We said it was about 8.15 in the morning. The sun is gone because of all the dust and debris. There are pillars of falling ash. Uh, Like you said, he physically sees the mushroom cloud. He's just two miles away from detonation. He is temporarily blinded. Thankfully, it's temporary. The blast blew out both of his eardrums. The left side of this body, this is a question that I had had originally, the left side of his body is charred. And he is like, at this point, to be clear, if he had just laid down from shock, he would have died, almost certainly. Instead, this man is able to crawl, despite his grievous wounds, he's able to crawl to a bomb shelter and someone is able to assist him. He gets medical assistance And then he finds out that, get this, his co-workers that were supposed to leave the city also survived. Kuniyoshi Sato and Akira Iwanaga, they stayed in an air raid shelter uh, overnight as well. And they said, okay, guys, I think we can all agree. We need to get out of town. We need to leave. We don't need to have a meeting about it. It's just time to go. So they get ready to go to Nagasaki. So they make their way to Nagasaki, but it's not a sure thing, right? They Somehow they heard, you know, if you've ever been in an emergency situation, you know that rumors take on a life of their own. And so these guys heard, like overheard people saying the trains were somehow still running. So they said, okay, we've got to make it to the train station. And, um, when they emerged from that shelter, man, I, I cannot imagine what greeted them. Just absolute havoc. Chaos. The the, the walking dead, you know? Um, mm-hmm. If you are of strong constitution, I highly recommend a couple of films, um, both animated uh, Japanese films. Uh, the Grave of the Fireflies, which is beautiful. beautiful and heartbreaking. But then there is another one called Barefoot Jen, um, from mm-hmm. 1983, and it, it, it is this exact uh, scenario that is depicted of the the B29 um, dropping uh, this this bomb, and it shows the fallout. I'm watching it right now. It is horrific. It's like you know, uh, people's skin melting off and teeth falling out mm-hmm. of their heads and eyeballs liquefying and just being reduced to just pulsating you know, ash and and gore. I mean, it's really one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in an animated film. Um, So to to see this and to have the perspective of how just two miles away, this man was spared. uh, And he still received these really terrible burns on half his body. Mm -hmm. And this journey through a destroyed city is something you cannot really put into words. It's experiential, right? It's phenomenological. You have to go through that experience yourself to fully understand it. There are cadavers, there are corpses that have physically melted and they're everywhere. Buildings are shattered. Uh, A lot of the bridges are twisted. Uh, They get to a river crossing and Yamaguchi has to swim through 
a layer of corpses to reach this station. And when he gets to the station, it turns out the train is working. It's filled with people who have narrowly survived the explosion with terrible, terrible injuries, uh, both uh, mental and, of course, physical. But you'll be happy to know, ridiculous historians, he does make it home to reunite with his wife and uh, their infant child. And if we fast forward 16 hours after the detonation of Little Boy, we see that President Harry Truman gives a speech that reveals the atomic bomb to the rest of the world for the first time. Of course, people like Yamaguchi are already very well aware that something catastrophic has occurred, but they didn't know exactly what happened, what this explosion was. And that's where Truman says, it is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. And in his speech, he rationalizes the attack on Japan. Now we know the flight that the Enola Gay took. We know about the thousands and thousands who died immediately. And then the toll, the death toll continues, right? Because people are dying of other related injuries, uh, tens of thousands of them for weeks after this. And this is where, this is the same speech where Truman says, if Japan doesn't surrender, it can expect a reign of ruin from the air, the like of which has never been seen on this earth. It's a war against civilians at that point. I mean, really? How do we reconcile this in our history? Like, it's just utter terrorism. I mean, I know, you know, that we're between a rock and a hard place, but uh, we've never had to use this again or resort to using it again. And now it's just this whole, like, game of, like, kind of a standoff, you know, with the folks that have the nuclear powers. But is this something you've ever thought about, Ben? Like, is are we, do as a country, do we justify this act? Or is it something we look back on in shame? You know, it's a complex topic in that regard, and you will hear various different answers uh, depending on people's perspectives, right, about about so many events in World War II. You know, uh, Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan who was recently assassinated, refused to apologize for any of Japan's actions in World War II, from what I understand. But yeah, you know, we have to keep in mind that I, I feel like I have to say this more and more often these days. When elephants wage war, it's the grass that suffers. So these are questions that Yamaguchi isn't quite answering at this point, right? He's just trying to survive. And there is, amid all this horror, I kid you not, man, something that made me laugh. And we'll get to it in a second. Here's what happens. He's back in Nagasaki. It's August 8th now. He goes to the hospital and the doctor who is treating Yamaguchi is an old school chum of his, but the burns that Yamaguchi endured are so severe that at first his old friend doesn't recognize him. Neither does his family. His mom calls him a ghost when he gets back home. He's on the verge of collapse. Here's, here's the part that made me laugh a little bit. The next morning, August 9th, still wrapped up in bandages, Yamaguchi gets up and goes to work. He goes to Mitsubishi's Nagasaki office. 
Yeah, that's a pretty serious work ethic there. But I would say this is, let's just consider this a snow day. Yeah. Right. This is, yeah. Like I mean, civilization on, is but, under attack. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's at the very least on pause. Uh, around 11 a.m., he, he he wasn't the only one. Uh, he was in a meeting. They, they were having meetings with, a, with the director of the company who wanted a full report on Hiroshima from, from the guy with burns over, you know, 50% of his body. Um, and he discussed the events that he had witnessed uh, on on the 6th, everything from the blinding light to the sound. His superiors actually were incredulous. They thought that Mm -hmm. he was, you know, pulling their leg or that he was in some way, you know, exaggerating. Because this kind of, the the power of this kind of weapon was not really known yet. Mm. They they wanted to know how this was possible. This was based on any artillery or, or, you know, armament that they were aware of this was not something that exists yeah exactly it sounds pretty crazy right and if you look at it from the perspective of his employers it is understandable that they could find this hard to believe because he was clearly heavily injured so he might not have maybe the most accurate recollection of the disaster that occurred. And he's telling his employers, he's saying, look, I'm not crazy. A bomb dropped and it destroyed the entire city. I hope he said, Mm -hmm. also, I showed up to work. You're welcome. Why why are you grilling me? God, right? get off my back. And the thing is, we'll never know if he was about to say that while he was trying to explain himself, because then, Noel, there was another explosion. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, Bonneville, right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, (laughs) and I meant Monte Carlo. 
I miss it too. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like, uh, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Yeah, there was, um, you know, you probably could have seen that coming. They are in Nagasaki at this point. Uh, that was the site of the second uh, atomic bomb that was dropped called um, Fat Man. And this one was worse. Uh, it was more powerful. That's why it was the Fat Man. The other one was the little boy. He literally saw the, the city in, in front of him out the window at the view of his office just implode. Glass shattered instantly. Um, sending just all kinds of shards of, of, you know, deadly broken glass shooting through the room. Again, just you can look up this scene if you're interested. Maybe don't want to watch the whole movie, but this movie, Barefoot Gen, um, if you just type in Barefoot Gen, G-E-N, nuclear bomb scene, it depicts all of this stuff that we're describing in, in just the most horrific detail. And there's a particular part where it shows glass windows shattering and these just like almost as if they're like being driven by some sort of like telepathy, just these shards of glass flying and just, you know, skewering people. I mean, this was very, very real. Um, and sometimes seeing these kinds of things in a cartoon just makes them even more real, uh, weirdly. I don't know why that is, but it's, I, I find that to be the case. Um, anyway, so he... Yeah, if, if his bosses didn't believe him before, they sure as hell believed him now, huh? Yeah, and can you imagine stuff from Yamaguchi's perspective? Uh, in a later interview with The Independent, he tells them that he sincerely thought the mushroom cloud had somehow followed him from Hiroshima. And yeah, and you can't blame him. And like you said, man, this second bomb is even more powerful. And luckily... Like, so the next question is, how does he survive this one? Luckily, the landscape, the topography of the city, it's very hilly, right? And there was a reinforced stairwell that sort of muffled the blast inside the office. But his bandages were literally blown off. Uh, he got hit by another surge of radiation. He had yet again been within two miles of a nuclear explosion, so he runs from the Mitsubishi building. He is, again, very, very heavily injured. But, and this is something very understandable, his first goal is to find his family, to see if they are alive. 
He gets to his neighborhood, Noel, he gets to his house, and he sees that part of it has been destroyed in the blast. But amazingly enough, his wife and his infant son are okay. They have cuts and bruises, but not like uh, not injuries that would require uh, hospitalization because they were hiding in a tunnel. Yeah, I mean, he really just, God, it, it does feel like luck at this point because it wasn't even something that anybody could have been prepared for or known necessarily what to do, you know, to, to make sure that you, you didn't get more grievously injured. And, and, you know, and I was reading some some uh, comments on a message board about this and uh, somebody pointed out very grimly that uh, how messed up is it that the people that were closest to the blast who got vaporized were the lucky ones. That's something people often speculate about in the event of uh, nuclear war or nuclear exchanges. If you are in a large city, do you want to live through the initial blast? It's a heavy question, but it's, um, it's an important question, and you'll see why when we examine what happens to Yamaguchi. And the reason his wife is in the tunnel, by the way, with their son is because she had been out trying to find burn ointment for her husband. So she wasn't in the house when it was destroyed. That's how, that's how they ended up hiding in a tunnel. So you could say, uh, as they mentioned on history.com that if Yamaguchi hadn't been injured at Hiroshima, his entire family might've died that day at Nagasaki. That's so, right. Yeah, so they live in a bomb shelter near what used to be their house as Japan surrenders. And then Yamaguchi, along with so many other people in Japan, learns what happens uh, when you are exposed to an atomic bomb. And to that quote you mentioned on the message board, this is why some people say, in theory, that they would prefer to be vaporized. And he, of course, was hit twice with this uh, radiation. His hair fell out. Um, you know, those burns that we talked about started to get infected. He was vomiting constantly, um, you know, was grievously ill. Uh, he described hearing about the surrender uh, of Japan's emperor uh, Hirohito. And he said he was completely ambivalent about it because of his condition. He says, quote, I was neither sorry nor glad. I was seriously ill with a fever, eating almost nothing, hardly even drinking. I thought that I was about to cross over to the other side. But little by little, he, he got better, didn't he, Ben? Yeah, he did. And this is another stroke of great fortune because many victims of radiation exposure did not recover and they would have injuries that haunted them for the rest of their lives or they would die as a result of the radiation. He went on, Yamaguchi that is, to live a surprisingly relatively normal life. He was a translator for the U.S. Armed Forces during their occupation of Japan. He taught school for a while and then eventually... He gets back into engineering for, you guessed it, folks, Mitsubishi. He goes on to have two more kids in the 1950s. Uh, one big change in his life, he does take up writing poetry, but it isn't until many decades later, in the 2000s, that he ever speaks publicly about his experience. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, we're obviously so glad that he did. It's it's a it's a powerful story. I mean, you know, we always talk about what qualifies a historical 
tale as being ridiculous. And I think we could probably both agree, or all three of us could agree, that uh, surviving or just being unlucky enough to be present for two of history's most brutal and deadly attacks, only to be able to survive, I think that's ridiculous in and of itself. And that it just kind of like, it almost is too too much to believe. You know, it's almost too insane to believe that this could possibly happen, that one person could be that unlucky, but also that lucky. Yeah, yeah. Going back to that headline really caught me. Later, his daughter, Toshiko, points out something that I, speak, I think speaks to his character. She says, afterwards, meaning after his recovery, he was fine. We hardly noticed he was a survivor, or what's called a hibakusha. He was so healthy, she says, that he thought uh, participating in anti-bomb protests or advocating for nuclear disarmament would have been unfair to people who were really sick. So he had a conscience about it, you know? He didn't want to be, I think, a performative face of a cause. But like so many people, so many survivors of the atomic bombs, Sutomo Yamaguchi ultimately, along with his family, suffered the long-term effects of radiation exposure. And this is the stuff that gets people many, many years later uh, both his son and his wife eventually passed away due to cancer from from the exposure. Yeah, I mean, then that, you know, it's a long game for a lot of these folks. We, as we know from, I mean, honestly, largely on stuff they don't want you to know. We talk about corporations that uh, you know poison communities with toxic chemicals, and um, you know people's proximity near nuclear waste dump sites and how that stuff can leach into the soil and maybe you don't get sick right away, but it, it, it just becomes this legacy of, of death and, and illness and, and just, you know, a reduction of quality of life. And, you know, you hear about class action lawsuits and things like that around these companies. And sometimes that helps and helps pay for things, but ultimately you're never going to get uh, your life back, but it's not like you can sue the United States <laughs> for, you know, pain and suffering when it was like, you know, an active hot war, right? But that's, that's what I was, I was getting at earlier, Ben. It's like, at what point does something become a war crime? Like, isn't right. this overkill? I mean, you think, it, and it's not against a military base. It's against the civilian population. That's like where I think about it too. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's a question that, people wrestle with uh, in 1945 in the in the time dropping the atomic bomb was not seen as a war crime but it was seen as a means to an end the idea was at least to american military minds that they had a bomb that could end the war they had this technology and if they didn't drop it they would be trav they would be essentially dooming other uh, american soldiers to die so it was a greater good argument from their perspective. But as you know, again, from stuff they don't want you to know, check out our book coming out October 11th, uh, wherever you find books. Um, as, as you know, that greater good argument is one heck of a slippery slope, and it's a very, very dangerous one. And just, just to add, I, I, just, I was just Googling this as we were talking about it, and there's a really great um, piece on NPR that came out on the 75th uh, anniversary of the bombings um, uh, from August 6th, 2020, and it interviews quite a few legal scholars who say 
today, this absolutely would have been viewed as a war crime. Yes. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I remember hearing this number. Like they they estimated it would take like seven hundred fifty thousand Americans to actually capture Japan. That was the number that they had flown had floated around a lot, and they expected like millions of deaths of Japanese. So, but to your point, Ben, that's a really slippery slope. Saying like, well, we're actually saving Japanese lives by killing all these Japanese immediately, like instantly with a nuclear bomb. So it's like. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just doesn't hold up, you know? And this, as uh, as Yamaguchi ages, uh, he begins to publicly speak out against nuclear weapons in general. He writes a memoir. He corresponds with President Barack Obama about this. He appears in a documentary that is screened at the United Nations in 2006. He is one of around 165 survivors who are thought to have survived both the bombings, both Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But Yamaguchi is distinct because he is the only person who is recognized by the Japanese government as having survived both attacks. And he only got that recognition, by the way, because he repeatedly wrote in and asked for it. Fascinating stuff. And you can find uh, pictures uh, of this man uh, from, you know, not terribly long ago. He did he did pass away in 2009, but not visibly scarred or mutilated in any way. He has, has a cane, but seems like he lived a very full life, you know, past this tragic event. And obviously, you know, this is the kind of PTSD that doesn't just, like, up and disappear, but... You know, I think it's I think he maybe felt strongly about being recognized as that, not for, you know, some sort of glory, but just so he could talk to people about it and describe it. Yeah. Yeah, Witness, exactly. You know? Living history. Yes. A testimony to the horrors of war, but also the enduring power of the human spirit, which I know otherwise might sound a little pretentious or something. But this this is a true story. And. You know, when he passes away, unfortunately, due to stomach cancer at the age of 93, what I think we can take away from this tale is that history is always closer than you think. 2009 was not very long ago at all. And with that, we have to remember that history, the good and the bad, the the joy and the terror, it doesn't exist in some dusty tome. It's not just a footnote in a book in the library. It's alive. It's real. And we forget it at our peril. Absolutely. Point well made. And uh, if you want to hear more, you know, from Yamaguchi, he actually was a pretty extensive poet. He didn't speak a ton about the bombings to even his own family until late in life, but he created uh, Tanka, which is a, a type of um, poetry uh, form, like a haiku, but, but, but different, similar that it has a, a pattern of, of uh, alternating pattern of, of number of syllables. Uh, so it is a 31-syllable poem in the pattern of 57577. Um, was not aware of this format, but you can actually uh, read some of these that he wrote uh, that he used as a, as a way of expressing some of these memories and, and feelings surrounding it. So um, that's something that you can look up and maybe get a glimpse uh, a little more specifically into, into this guy's this guy's mind. That's a beautiful way to end the story, Noel. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. 
This is only one story of people who have narrowly survived these tremendous disasters. And unfortunately, there may be more stories like this in the future. So this was a little bit of a heavy one, but again, we believe it is an important story to tell. History is closer than you think. And our next episode is closer than you think. Uh, Noel, what are we doing for our next episode? You know, Ben, I'm glad you asked. For our next episode, we actually have a really cool partnership with uh, 23andMe, the company that, you know, lets you take your DNA test and find out all kinds of crazy stuff about your lineage. And we both took the test and were, I think, both uh, surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised at how far these things have come. We've both taken them in the past as well. Lots of cool information about our lineage that we discuss, but also we just discuss the history uh, and kind of controversy surrounding the discovery of DNA itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Stefan on the old SNL sketch, you know, this episode has everything. We're not going to do the whole bit. We don't want to spoil it, uh, but we do hope you tune in because I I think we all had uh, a fascinating time, even more fascinating than we thought it would be at the offset. And thanks, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks, of course, to Gabe Luzier, our uh, research associates all grown up, Noel. (laughs) Check out his amazing daily podcast, This Day in History Class. Thanks, of course, to Alex Williams, who composed our track. Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Eve's Jeff Coates, out in the world doing amazing things. Ah, we got to thank Max again. Give him another woo. Love that guy. And uh, thanks to you, Ben, for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. You're a pal and a confidant, Noel. Mm-hmm. And you as well, my friend. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.